it's Chris. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You don't have to do any of that work. In addition, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome back to the Situation in the Story podcast, where you can peer into what happens behind the page as I pick authors' brains about their experiences, their process, and their purpose. I'm your host, Chris Moore. I really need your reviews and your ratings on your podcast platform of choice so that I can continue bringing you this content. So please take some time to do that for us. As always, thank you for tuning in. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. episode, I sat down with Laura Bogart to talk about her brand new novel, Don't You Know I Love You, released today by Zank Books. Laura is a nonfiction writer who focuses on personal essays, pop culture, film and TV, feminism, body image and sizeism, and politics, among other topics. She's a feature contributor to The Week and Dame magazine. Her work has also appeared in The Atlantic, The Guardian, Spin, The AV Club, Vulture, and IndieWire, among others. Don't You Know I Love You is her first novel. Should we start? Yes, absolutely. All right. First question is, why do you write? I've always wanted to, like, share these stories. Like, even when I was, like, a little kid, I would have, like, you know, imaginary figures in my head, or I would, like, be very fascinated by, like, characters and, like, the TV shows that I watched, and I got really obsessed with, like, certain cartoon shows or TV shows. Like, I was probably, like, the only little girl who had, like, crushes on, like, some of the gargoyles from the Gargoyles <laughs> show. Um, so I, I always had that, like, fixation of, like, I want to know what happens. I want um, to make things happen. And so I started writing in that way. And then the older I got, the more I got interested in people. I got interested in what makes people tick. I got um, interested in how people react to different things. And so that all kind of came together. And now I feel like if I'm not making something of some kind and it's writing now it's I I feel like stagnant like I feel like I'm not 
doing anything. I always feel like I'm engaged with the world, trying to understand it. Mm-hmm. And um, writing is the best way to explore that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So your brand new novel, Thank Don't You Know I Love You. Um, you it, It's your first novel, right? You usually mm-hmm. write nonfiction. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I was, well, it sounds like you've been writing fiction since you were little, though. I have. So it's weird. Like nonfiction was actually like more of the like quote unquote detour for me. Um, I started writing. I was I did fiction. I did short stories. I did um, like attempts at things um, like and they were fiction. Like I did attempts at long form fiction like Mm -hmm. in in undergrad. I guess you could call it a novel, um, but it was not successful or complete and when I went to grad school um, I had intentions of only focusing on fiction but I was really lucky I had very good teachers I had Richard McCann and I had EJ Levy and they were both like you know if you're going to be a writer in this world you should know how to do nonfiction because nonfiction is where there's more of a market Mm. Um, whether it's sort of and this was like at the cusp of like the personal essay boom Mm. um, literary journalism those kinds of things and so I started taking those classes in grad school and it, it gave me sort of an outlet to excavate the things that I had been kind of thinking about um in my own life in my own psyche for a really long time which was new um, and that was also very exciting. Um, and then as I kind of kept going into nonfiction, I really found that um, I loved like cultural critique work. And it's funny because growing up, like I read a lot of fiction. I read a lot of novels, short stories, but I also watched a lot of fiction. Like I watched a lot of like, like I joked and, you know, but like a lot of you know, when I was a child, kid shows, and then growing up, like prestige TV film. And I was really inspired and engaged by it. And I had these really intense reactions to it. Um, Really visceral, really personal. Um, I still remember the feeling of like, watching Rebel Without a Cause or The Wild One and On the Waterfront when I was a kid. And those were still like, foundational texts for me. Um, And I, so I was always reading, like, as I got older, like film criticism, pop culture criticism. And um, then when I started writing nonfiction, there were so many avenues of nonfiction and I really got into it. Um, But fiction has always sort of been the first love of mine. And I always knew if I did sort of a long form, something that was going to be really immersive that I wanted to do. um, I wanted to do fiction. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the main character in your book is queer. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Do you identify as queer? What led you to write kind of a queer love story? Um, I'm still figuring myself out, so I don't, I don't know how I identify yeah. to, be honest, to be honest with you. Um, I just know in terms of like when I was creating the character, she came to me that way. Mm-hmm. She came to me interested in women, loving women. Her love interest sort of came to me very fully formed. 
And I am a very intuitive writer. I tend to believe that when certain elements of a story come to you and they come to you like so pronounced and so clear and, and so, um, you know, she kind of came to me like, you know, like Athena out of Zeus's head, like, this is who I am and this is what I want. And I was like, I am not one to ignore you. And so I wrote her as she, um, as she came to me. So I can't say that there was anything, you know, crafted. I can just tell you that was raw and intuitive and it was just how it had to be. Yeah. I, I'm okay. So I just wrote my first short story ever. Oh, congratulations. (laughs) I'm still working on it, but thank you. But I I've, I've joked for a long time and don't take this personally, but I've joked for a long time. Like I hate fiction. <laughs> no, it's okay. I can hate and it I, sometimes too. I hate it sometimes too. But then I realized, like, I love television. I love film, and I'm thinking, mm-hmm. you know, that that is fiction. So what? How yes. can yeah? How can you say you hate fiction? So then I tried to start trying to write some. I actually pulled. I remember very vividly when I was like six. Mm-hmm. There was an old uh, antique typewriter in mm-hmm. our, like in our hallway in my first childhood home, and one day I sat down and started typing out a story about these fish. They were like, <laughs> I know I I actually have it. I found it the other night. Oh, yay! But I remember feeling then as a six year old like, okay, I have these characters and a storm is coming in the story. But after that, I have no, idea. like, what mm-hmm. am I supposed to do? Like, Oh my I, God. Yes. Yes. I yes, still yes. like, can't, I feel like I'm missing some part of the creativity that's required to do fiction. Like I can't characters don't come to me. So I, can I just tell you, I mean, so there's always this thing people feel like, have you ever seen the show Homeland? no, but do you know the memes of Homeland where she has like the board where she's got like the red yeah. string? So people <laughs> like people feel like that's what you have to do to write a novel. Um, so I tried to outline this. Sh- Can I curse? Can I say oh, yeah. that? Okay. <laughs> I tried to outline the shit out of this book when I first started because I was also very scared. I was like, I don't know how to do this. I can't do this. I'm going to suck at it. And, um, so I like outline I had like I mean I should show you this at some point I like literally if I still have it somewhere I like literally was like and here's what's gonna happen in the first chapter here's a breakdown of the scene by scene by scene and it felt so sterile yeah like and I was like I know and so I ended up scrapping a lot of it but the process of kind of figuring out what my story was going to be, like, even though I ended up not using my incredibly draconian homeland board of whatever, yeah. um, I, it, I was able to be more intuitive. And so, like, what I have found is having a sense of, like, how, how it was going to generally end, not, like, down to, like, and this is the final scene, but, like, what's the <laughs> ultimate thing? that's going to be resolved here um was helpful to me and I almost sort of like emotionally started working backwards um like I I, the best piece of writing advice that I ever got was that like 
when you're looking at a story, like especially like in a long form story, there's always like a set of questions to be answered. And I started to think about them in terms of like my heroine. Um, she is a young woman who has grown up in this really domineering, constrictive household with a very macho alpha male type father but there's something very charismatic about him even though he's like violent and kind of terrible yeah um because i think the narratives around abuse are never that cut and clean and so i knew the central question of her life was going to be am i gonna be like my father am i gonna embrace this worldview or am i gonna challenge myself to do something different with art and with love and if so, what does that look like? And I didn't necessarily have the, like the process of writing the book was not like, here, let me detail these answers. But the process of writing the book was like, let me find these answers like with her. Yeah, if that makes sense. it does. And I mean, that's kind of similar to writing essays, right? Uh, yes. You know, the essay is going to decide for you where, where it's going to end up eventually. Yes. Yes. Um, as far as Angelina, is she going to kind of repeat what her father did or embrace this life of art? Mm -hmm. She ended up doing both. Yeah. Pissed me right off. It pissed me off. I was like, no, I want these two to be together forever. I know. But they could though. That's the thing. Like I, I'm like spoiling my own book here. They could that. But the thing of it is, is I feel like, like recovery is like never a very clean line. Like getting over things is like never like, Oh, I was upset too. I was like, writing, <laughs> "What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Like, you have this like lovely woman who like adores you and is like perfect for you, and like, why?" But you need conflict in a story, and you need well, your characters to make choices that make people upset. And it's much more realistic. Like, I can relate to Angelina so well. Like. Mm-hmm fucking up you know fucking up a relationship because you're pissed off or you're triggered or whatever and there's trauma there and I I was sad but I understood that was kind of the react I mean like and I've gotten that reaction from like people who have read the book like across the board like I've even gotten like cis straight men who have read it go Oh yeah, I recognize that. Yeah, like really? I've gotten oh yeah, I've gotten like reactions across the board. People have very similar, which is what I wanted. I wanted her to be flawed and sort of universally relatable in her flaws, if that makes sense. Like yeah. I've gotten women, you know, men having the same kind of response to her because I think it's just a thing that people do. I've done it in relationships and, and friendships and attachments. Um and I think sometimes when you write, you have to break your own heart a little bit. Yeah. Um, how, like, talk about your process. How long, how long did writing this novel take? What did it look like? I oh, know man. I hear you started trying to outline and then that didn't work for you. <laughs> so I, uh, so I was, and, and I, and I, I'm very candid about the process of like what it took to get it published, like drafted and published. Cause I feel like we don't talk about that kind of stuff enough. Um, so I started it, I want to say maybe like in like 2011, 2012. And it, and I, again, I was terrified to write a novel. I didn't think that I could. And I was like, I'm just going to do a collection of linked short stories and it's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And I had um, a com I know 
I know. And I had a conversation with an agent who's not my current agent, but um, he was just someone who I was talking to at the time. And he was like, no, honey, you got to write a novel. Like, <laughs> you got you to gotta do that. So when you're writing your first novel, it was almost sort of like, oh, there's no expectation here. Um, you know, I think it's just sort of like I can write this and fail and it's going to be okay because you know, no, you know, nobody knows who I am. Nobody cares. And so, but I was very much like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to outline this. I'm going to know what I'm going to do. And the outlining just did not work. So, and so it's around 2012. I'm starting to write this as I'm trying to do, um, essays, work full time, have a life. And then around 2013, 2014, I'm like, okay, it's time to get serious and actually do this. Cause I think to some degree I had been avoiding it a little bit. Like, you know, if I, if I write this and it doesn't sell or cause I, you know, I went from, Oh, okay. Nobody cares to, well, I'm maybe I'm just using that as a crutch or an anchor to, or to avoid. Yeah. Not trying it, not doing it. And I said, okay, you just have to suck it up and do it. Because if you don't do it, you'll always wonder what would have happened. So around 2014-ish, 2013-ish, I buckle down and I really start working on it and finishing it. In 2015, I finish it and I take some time away from it. Because I the advice you're given is when you finish a novel, spend some time away with it. Um, I did a reading, a local reading in Baltimore in like, I think 2016. And the man who's now my agent heard me read it, read from it, and he really liked it. And so he worked with me on a revision. And then in like 2016, we go out to the market with it. And we all know what happened in 2016. And yeah. Yeah. And so if it was not apocalypse trump related or something of a variation of hillbilly elegy it was very hard for a book to sell right and i'm extremely candid about this because i feel like we only talk about oh and i i'm 22 and i sold my first book at auction or you know my book was on the market for a month and it sold we only talk about the instant success stories so I'm very candid. It, it we we went on market with this in 2017. I mean, excuse me, 2016, 2017, 2018. We got a lot of responses that were like, "Oh, um, this is great, but um, it's not for us now." And then we sent it to Desank, which is my my publisher, um, and we gave it to them like maybe late 2018, and they we signed with them in 2019. And it they it went to the home that it needed to go to because they're a wonderful press. They have done nothing but right by me and they've been nothing but supportive of me, even in this time now when like I can't go on tour, I can't do anything, you know, externally to sort of promote it. They've really been there and they've been good champions of the work. And so it has a happy ending. And that's my really long winded story. But I I'm very I'm very candid about it because I think people should be, I don't think we do other artists a, a service and making it sound like everything's going to be cherries and roses and whipped cream. 
um, or that success is instant and it's, you can write something that you feel good about and you believe in and it still might take a little bit and that's okay. Yeah. At, at the time of 2016, when you started, or did you say 20, whenever you started getting serious about finishing the project, what, yeah. did, what did that kind of look like literally on a day to day? Ah, that's a really good question. Um, so I, it was a question of, I, so I work, I've worked various day jobs and that's a, a big point also in the book is that Angelina is trying to be an artist and she works a day job and has to make money um, because she is not Hannah from girls, which is not knocking girls. I, but um, <laughs> I mean, a little bit, a little bit. Um, so, uh, so what did that look like? So it was like, I went, I went to my day job. And I went home and maybe instead of pitching an essay, um, I stayed home and wrote. Like I wrote evenings, weekends. Um, you give up a lot of your social time, or at least I did. Um, and so that was sort of it. That was like my pursuit of like I come home from work and it was like punching a ticket and okay, I'm going into my second shift now. Um, yeah. And that was sort of it. I wish I had a, a more glamorous answer for you. Um, I did at one point go on a retreat when it was like at this lady's house. It was cool. I mean, it was this lady who like rented out her house, but at some point there was an issue with her plumbing. So I ended up having to go home. <laughs> but um, planning a lot of vacations, trying to find retreats where I could, but just really just like, punching that ticket, starting the second shift when you get home. Yeah. So you mentioned that you have that similarity with your main character. And I think I also heard you mention Baltimore. Yes. Um, what level of, if any, is this uh, novel autobiographical or semi-autobiographical? Mm, I mean, there are certain things that like emotionally I have dealt with um I tried to put a little bit of myself and my feelings into each of the characters um and and to because I think if you're gonna write someone even if you don't agree with them or condone them you should try to understand them um and that manifests for me in very interesting ways so I think one could look at a character like Angelina and trying to be an artist, trying to deal with rage at a father figure and see like, okay, there's some, there's some similarities there, but I also, I also kind of mind myself in weird ways when I was writing her parents. So the mother character in the book, Angelina's mother, Marie is a fail artist. She never got off the ground. She wanted to be an actress and she never went anywhere with it. And that was a part of me that was like, okay, what happens if I allow myself to just like sit with my own fears about what if I don't launch as an artist? What does that look like? Or the father figure, Jack, I mean, he is, has a really volcanic temper and he only knows like the most extreme option is the only option. And like, look, I, I, that was a model of dealing with anger that was modeled for me. And that was a model of anger that I embraced for a really long time. 
and I was a very hair trigger temper person. I'm not so much anymore. Um, and but I I felt like if I have this character and he's going to be ugly with it, and actually writing him and seeing how ugly he was with his temper and seeing that everything for him is DEFCON one. I think one is the 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 bad you know the really bad one. Um, I started to look at myself and go, am I doing this too? Is this my instant reaction to everything? Because it was, it was everything that was sort of a um, perceived slight had to be like avenged. And so that was like, so writing it, I don't know that I necessarily think all writing has to be like therapy, but it was useful. It was useful, like emotionally. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that answers. (laughs) No, it does. It's interesting that the short story that I'm, working on mm. i have no idea what i'm doing but that's good though yeah yeah it gives you a place to start from yeah um it's about a father and daughter a father that um kind of walked out the, the parents separated yeah. and he left uh for the other side of the country and she decides to go um to his city for his 60th surprise birthday party but she doesn't tell him and it's it's kind of dark. They end up as they're driving to the party. They get in a car accident, and he uh, kills her. <laughs> but oh my god, that's uh, intense! I know. I would read the shit out of that book. <laughs> um, I really would. Thanks. There's that same dynamic that it seems like you had to really work with. Like this is a an angry, nasty guy who's also mm-hmm. loving and yes. Um. I feel like you did really well. Thank you. Ma- yeah, making him like a full person because I, I could empathize with him. Um, well, that's what I wanted yeah. because the thing of it is, is like these guys are like walking around and they're out there, they're living, um, you know, and it's very, very rare that someone is one thing and one thing only yeah it's a lot of shades of nuance and i've talked about this before but like i thought a lot about like some of the anti-hero trends like in tv and i and i like rewatched parts of the sopranos when i was writing the dad character because i find the tony soprano character like so profoundly interesting because he's so violent and so awful but at the same time there's woundedness to him and and like like him with the ducks right like he's like he chokes people and shoots people um but like some of the most grisly murders he's done on that show is to like like i think about um have you watched the sopranos at all oh yeah okay i I come from a south jersey italian family so that's (laughs) like i could relate to that part of the book as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean because it's like so like you know the most one of the most grisly things that he does is he kills this guy for those who are uninitiated with the sopranos he kills this guy ralph and he i mean it's off it's like savage it's like one of the most savage things you've seen on tv right and he like chokes i mean he chokes the guy beats him so hard that the man's wig falls off it's 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 but this guy has murdered a young woman who worked at a strip club that Tony had sort of taken a paternal shine to. And he also burned down a horse stable and killed a horse. 
And so on the one hand, like what he's doing is murder and it's sick and it's vicious and it's terrible. But on the other hand, in his mind, he's avenging these two deaths. And that was the level of complexity that I was aspiring to because Jack really does think he is preparing his daughter for a very vicious and hard world. Yeah. And in his mind, you know, like, are his methods extreme? Yeah, but it's a shitty, crazy, awful world, and he wants her to be ready for it. I had to kind of sit with those two things and also make it clear, like, this is where he's coming from, but I don't condone it. Um, because when I've seen a lot of like, I'm sure you've watched like a lot of the anti-hero shows and stuff. Yeah. I think some of them are very successful at portraying the anti-hero in such a way that like you watch it and you're like, I don't want to be Walter White. I don't want to, I don't want to be Don Draper. I don't want to be Tony Soprano. But sometimes they just fall over that edge and they're like, Ooh, but that's a little glamorous in its way. Like, um, you know, male toxicity and male rage is a hell of a drug. <laughs> so, um, avenging, right, is is kind of based in love. Like it's mm-hmm. justice based. Yeah. So, like, uh, Jack in your book with with the insurance agent. I know. Yeah. So it's yeah. He becomes very fixated. So, like in the book. It starts off with she's in a car accident and she's physically injured and her being physically injured. It echoes something in him. It makes him remember, I think, whether he wants to or not, some of the ways that he's treated her. And he feels like, yeah, there's this opportunity for me to get in and like be a good dude. But the being a good dude, like you say, gets quickly supplemented into like, I'm going to be a complete monster to all these like poor insurance adjusters. He's like trying to get her this money and he becomes fixated on the money. Yeah. That And, and that was sort of when I think about like what the, you know, when you ask like, what is sort of the question that animates the characters? One of the questions I thought about a lot was, what does this money mean to him? Like, what, why, why is he so obsessed with it? Why is he so fixated on it? And you write the answer was like love in like a weird, like, can I drop an F-bomb? Yeah, please. Okay. (laughs) In a weird, like fucked up way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. After everything they had been through, uh, Mm -hmm. as far as the abuse and whatnot and what she had Mm -hmm. said to him, it was his way to kind of show her, even though it was misguided and she wasn't Mm -hmm. really receptive, like, Mm-hmm. way to love her yeah and that's her yeah and it's and it's that weird instinct that he has i think of him as being in some ways as being like a very tragic character because he has like sort of a fundamentally good instinct in that way but he doesn't know how to direct it in ways that are positive yeah And some of that is his upbringing. Some of that is just like the toxic masculinity of the culture. And some of that is just like his own faulty wiring. I would say it's a tragic character. Yeah, I really, I really wanted that for him. And then on the other hand, I feel like Marie, the mother Mm -hmm. was so passive. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, she she was, it was weird to write her because I had these two like little firecracker characters of um jack and angelina and then like maria was sort of like the one who's in the middle um and i she was the one that i worried about the most and i was worried about readers reactions to her the most but in terms of like characters that people seem to just generally like people seem to like her 
um, which is interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I do like her. She's a little yeah. too soft. For me, I know. But... She, she could have, you know, done a little bit more to, you know, but she's also like a product of her times and a product yeah. of her upbringing. And I think she's an example of what happens when you just accept like, oh, well, this is the way some people in the world are going to be. Yeah. And you, and I'm just going to make the best of this. And I think Angelina has like a choice of like, well, I could just let him take care of me in this instance. And Maria is an example of someone who has decided to just let Jack take care of her. Yeah. And doesn't care what he has to do or how ugly it is or, or what have you. And I think Angelina looks at that a little bit as like, my mom has made this deal with the devil and I don't know that I want to as well. Yeah. Um, I was trying to find that scene that absolutely broke my heart when uh, they're in the car and I think they're in the car. Um, Yeah. Angelina and mom. And she asks about, you know, what, what movie did you really want to be in or what role did you really want to play? Like, what was your dream? And she just kind of mom shut down and didn't answer. And yeah. Oh, that was fucking painful. It, yeah. And that's an example too of like, because I think Angelina is at a crux where like when you, when you get out of like the cocoon of like art school or like you're studying your, your craft or whatever, it's very easy to like get into this place of like, okay, that's done and I'm going to get caught in the workaday world or I'm going to let the world kind of break that out of me. And I think it's something everybody struggles with who's a working artist who has to work. And I think of Marie as somewhat of a ghost of Christmas future for Angelina as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't get too complacent, basically. And yeah, and and um, but then she kind of airs on the side of going extreme and like it's a balance. And then I wanted her her partner, um, Janet, to be an example of someone who balances that well, who like accepts that she works and has to work and she does that. Um, and but she also is creative and still finds time to have a life. I don't know. I think Janet is like the healthiest character in the book. Yeah, for sure. sure. That's where I was going next. Um, Mm -hmm. What, when Janet was first introduced, I was picturing her more the age of Marie. Mm, That's interesting. Because they were coworkers, I guess, and friends. Um, And she had kind of this motherly Mm -hmm. instinct about her in the coffee shop when she first met Angelina. um, What, what was kind of the age difference or was there even an age difference? They were about the same age. Maybe Janet was a little bit younger than Angelina by like a year, oh, but yeah. Janet is someone who, and we can't, I don't get as much into her background. But she is someone who has sort of had to raise herself mm. from a, a young, young age. And so um, she is more grounded and she is more mature in some ways. And I think Janet is an example of someone who is like kind of she's she's figured out a little bit more closely how to balance the art life work life. Um, I think she's also someone who like, you know, she has grows up with sort of more of a like a fundamentalist mother 
Um, it's this is sort of teased. It's not gotten into super deeply, but she's someone who, and I had more kind of information about her in my head as well. I always kind of, you know, it's almost like when you read about how actors prepare for things and yeah. they know kind of everything in the backstory, even if it doesn't end up in the text. But you know, she's someone who I think is, you know, if if Jack is sort of the the devil on the shoulder of Angelina and Marie is sort of like maybe the angel that's like had some rosé and passed out <laughs> the other shoulder. And it's like, I mean, um, Janet is like the figure that steps in and in the other angel robes and is like, look, like you, you can be a healthy person and, and, and have friends and have a life and it's okay. Yeah. I fucking absolutely love their relationship. And thank you. Yeah. We were, uh, for the listeners, we were asking Sophia Shalmiev. I love her. I know about um, how long is it going to take to find a, the our next one? Oh, we and uh, I just that relationship was so perfect. I was like, was I know, like, uh, I like uh, that relationship, and I was like, I want that relationship. I was like, God damn, why can't I have what I write? So good. Um, thank you. And yeah. you know what? I believe, I believe that you will find your Janet or your healthy Angelina, like however it is, whatever it is that you want. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she, yeah, she did a Facebook thread and it was like, ask questions. And we we're both like, Oh, somebody, <laughs> how long until I get laid? Yes. And now we're, everyone is under quarantine. So it just feels more dire than ever. Like, I know. Oh, but the your book was nice and cathartic in that way. I I'm glad. Like. Yeah. Well, part of me was literally like, I'm going to go on book tour and there's going to be lots of people. And then it was like, mm. yeah, let's uh, talk about fucking COVID. How are you dealing? What's that like with, with your book coming out today? I, I have a lot of feelings about it. And then like, so like a first, just like, I'm going to say, like, I know this is very bad for a lot of people around the world and the country, and it feels really... I, I mean, first, I have to... It's hard to sit here and say, I feel sad that that I'm not... I didn't get to do my launch at the IV last night, knowing that there are pages and pages and pages of obituaries in Italy. There are people getting laid off and not sure how they're going to make rent and are feeling desperate for some kind of aid. So that is heartbreaking and that takes kind of precedent. Um, and it's more important to think about, but I would be lying to you if I said I wasn't sad and that it didn't feel strange to be launching this book and to be being buy my book, promote my, you know, all these things while there is so much suffering going on in the world. I, the literary community, like yourself included, I mean, you guys have all stepped up and, and there are so many opportunities for those of us who are authors who did not get to launch. And I'm very grateful for that, but it's, it's hard for everyone around the board, but I mean, yeah, it's a little bit like, oh, I'm releasing a book in the middle of a terrible pandemic. <laughs> happy birthday book yeah so what does it look like this are the book events something you can do when this is all over even though it's gonna be you know however many weeks or months later i think so i think so i think a lot of the places are very committed to um giving writers their space back and and doing what they can to support writers so i think so and i'm just trying to remind myself everything it's it's not um it's not done it's just kind of on hold um 
And that's not certainly not the worst thing that can happen at all by a long shot. Right. Um, just given it. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there are some events that are um, postponed. I know like my Baltimore events are postponed. Um, I was going to do a red ink panel um, that is postponed. So I'm thinking, you know, the summer. Um, so in some ways it might feel like the book will get a second birthday, Yeah, um, you know, which could be very nice, but you know, just, it's a hard situation for everybody in the world. Yeah. Um, and I'm a drop in the bucket of that. Well, your sadness is still valid. <laughs> Thank you. I it's, it does feel weird. It does feel weird to be like, I'm sad. And then you, you hear like, you see like these articles about like there's no ventilators and, but it is hard. I guess it's like everybody gets to feel their feelings and it's important to have space for all the feelings. Yeah. And you, it sounds like you have plenty of perspective on it. So yeah. Thank you. I was so sad at AWP. I bet. <laughs> like, I, bet I kept walking past your press's table and seeing your book there. And I'm like, I'm talking to her after the trip. <laughs> But uh, it was so eerie. It's so strange. You know, it does feel like, like, you know, in like the beginning of like uh, uh, the zombie movies or like the apocalyptic kind of movies, like it does feel like this is a flashback to before. Oh, no. And it's weird because you see people who don't take it seriously um, and you want to shake them <laughs> and and shout at them. But yeah, I'm I'm I am curious to see what the art and literature and like pop culture that's going to come out of this moment is mm. going to look like. Me too. I'm already thinking about it in those terms. I don't know if that's fucked up, but I'm like, oh, this is already a book, a movie, a you know, oh, whatever. not at all. But I mean, if you look at like the things that are trending now, like the movie Contagion is like, you know, that movie came out years ago. I and watched it like, the other night. <laughs> I I have not I I I kind of want to but I also kind of don't. Um, part of me is like, should I watch that or should I watch the show where Al Pacino hunts Nazis? <laughs> I don't know. Both of them feel very topical right now in different ways. But I, you know, I'm sort of curious because I, you know, we I felt like we did have like a zombie pandemic kind of moment um, some years ago. Um, like in the early 20, late 2010s, I would say like 2010, like through, you know, when Walking Dead came out and everything like that. Yeah. And, and, and that was like pandemic as a metaphor for a lot of different things. And now I'm sort of curious that we're in a literal pandemic. Right. Like how are people going to respond to that? I don't know. I've always been fascinated by post-apocalyptic or apocalyptic literature, literature and film. And I've always joked well not necessarily joked but i've always kind of said i hope i'm alive for the apocalypse but it changes things right now that it's really here you're like oh fuck well can i tell you it's funny so i'm a gardener and i subscribe to all these like little gardening youtube <laughs> channels bless you and I, um, and so like, I always joked, I was like, oh, like if the food, if the, if the, you know, end of the world comes, I know how to grow food. I know how to shoot and I know how to grow food. Same. So I'll be okay. Yeah. And so then like some of my little gardening video channels, like they're literally doing like, so how do you use your garden to feed your neighborhood in the pandemic? <laughs> or like, how do like, foods to grow to like feed yourself? And I'm like, shit. <laughs> 
<laughs> like I should never have joked about this. Well, I'll be like, I will now joke about winning a hundred million dollars. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, but it is very, very strange to to hear things that we had the luxury of yeah. of joking about become really real. Yeah, it's not just hypothetical, and it's not entertainment mm. anymore you know like no and it is sort of like i mean now i mean people are going to be working out of their homes and whatnot but it just feels like there's also not a like this is not a snow day like right. you don't wake up one day and it's like oh it's melted and i and now everything's fine right we don't even this know time. how long it's gonna be right <laughs> that's what scares me and i'm i'm claustrophobic already sort of like on edge about that that factor of it and just the not knowing but we have to do what we have to do to keep people safe it's wacky it is wacky i that's really the only word for it <laughs> so fast i mean it feels fast because one day we're like oh it's just a flu and yep. the next day you're fucking quarantined <laughs> yep the fuck yep. and i i feel like the people in italy are like the go like i i use this phrase i know a number of times but for the book but like in real life i feel like the people from italy are like literally warning us they're like, trying no, so hard yeah like do not mess around and and you see these videos and it's funny like i just took my dog out and one of my neighbors is a teacher and we were talking a little bit about because those schools are just closed and she's like we have no idea how long this is going to be and she made a comment. She's like, when I see people who are out just like at the beach or like doing whatever um, or like thronging into the restaurants, you know, I think it's this weird thing in American culture where we we feel the need to like tough everything out. And we feel the need. To, and when I say tough things out, I mean them in in ways that have this like superficial macho bravado. Yeah, it's like so, the definitive American trait. <laughs> and so you see these people that are like proudly like, I'm going to lick the toilet seat on an airplane. I saw that. What the fuck? I know. That's disgusting. That's insane. Um, or the woman who was joking about going to Red Robin at like... I didn't see um, that one. Oh yeah, she so Alexandria Casio Cortez basically like sent a tweet and it was like look and it was like look guys and she says this as someone who was a bartender in New York yeah. and she's like yeah so she's like guys you have to stay home like this is how we flatten the curve or what have you and um you know this woman tweeted I'm 30 I went to round Red Robin because I can and it's like. You know, you fucking you idiot. Know, this, I know, but it's like this sort of idea of like, you know, if you go out and you shake hands and you go to your office and you do this and you do that, and then you're the brave one. And it's like, actually, no, like being responsible is sitting at home and that's quieter, that's less self aggrandizing, but it's the right thing to do. And, um, and I think it's the harder thing to do. It is the much harder thing to do. I mean, because I don't know about you, but like my brain is literally like, oh, well, I could just, you know, drive to the, the store and take a picture of my book in the window. And I was like, no, Laura, like yeah. staying home means staying home. Mm -hmm. Like it means you take the dog for a walk, you go to the grocery store and that's it. Like, but yeah, but, but I think because it's a less ostentatious, showy thing to do, we as a culture are not as interested in it and where it's not as valorized. I would, I would say I'm 
pleasantly surprised actually at how yeah. like I thought that we as Americans would be much worse. Oh yeah. Um so oh, yeah. and maybe that's just cuz I'm, you know, looking at my own network, but it feels uh-huh. like we're doing okay, <laughs> like better than I had I think we're I think we're doing okay. I think there are still some people that want to take it as a joke. Right. Um, or that it's not as serious, or I think it's that kind of, they're myopic, and they think that because it doesn't impact them directly, um, or they're not at risk of being sick, they don't understand, like, the capacity to carry it. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, I think, uh, I'm very also very curious to see if there are things in the culture that are going to change like related to this even beyond sort of like artistically what comes out of it values wise yeah yeah me too i mean i don't know if you heard yet but trump was talking about giving every american a check i mean that already seems like a value change like Mm -hmm. you know and we're not gonna charge people rent and we're not gonna make them pay their electric bill like yeah i think in a way it's gonna be a shift i i think so i mean i think that i hope so because it is just sort of like i mean i you know i yeah i mean i also think it's very interesting that like that now there's been a change in tone from him for the past couple of days and i mean my the t-shirt i'm wearing now is wonder woman punching trump like captain america yeah. <laughs> um punched hitler so that's where my view is right um and um but i it's very interesting and i i sort of follow a variety of people on twitter to kind of get my political news and information because i'm interested in what a variety of people think Mm -hmm. not not necessarily anyone who's pro-trump but i'm i find myself very interested in the Mm -hmm. anti-trump the conservatives who were conservative um and but still oppose trump um and and where they are in their own movement and the sort of real time political awakenings that you see in these people, I find that really fascinating. Yeah. Um, like woke Bill Crystal is not a thing that I ever thought I would see in my lifetime. <laughs> but a lot of them have said, you know, and I think it was even this guy who was like a speechwriter for George W. Bush, so I should like fucking hate him. But he made a really good point. He said they're and this was in 2016, and he wrote a piece about why he was going to vote for Hillary Clinton. And you know, he hemmed and hawed over it, whatever. But he said, he's like, there is going to come at a time something that he cannot bluster and tweet his way out of. And this is it. Yeah. It's here. Yeah. This is this is that thing. And look, there's a, there's a, I think there's a death cult that's attached to this man. You know, I think Fury Road anticipated some of this moment more than speaking of post-apocalyptic things. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it you can't tweet your way out of it. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But yeah, it's just funny. So I was even thinking about it in terms of my book and I was like, yeah, I was like, Jack's a Trump voter. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like Marie is too. I, you know what? I actually think Marie voted Hillary, but I think she told Jack. Okay, that she yeah, that that I could, that fits better. Yeah, I think so too. And I think Angelina was Hillary from the jump. Janet probably liked Bernie, but she voted um, Hillary, obviously. She's in the you know in the general. Um, <laughs> 
But no, I think Marie totally like secretly like voted um, Hillary and she took a picture of her ballot and she sent it to Angelina because she wanted Angelina to know. Like, I believe, I believe this. Um, I love it. Uh, So what are you working on? Any other projects? What's next? Oh, so I have an idea for something. I I tend not to talk a ton about things when I'm in progress because I don't want to like jinx them or whatever. That's fair. But I have an idea for something that will be different um, and we'll see if I can pull it off. The only, yeah, that's all I'll say. About Damn, it. I'm I curious I now. I, you know what? I can tell you like offline because I feel like if I tell all your listeners this and they're like, ooh, that book sounds great. And then like I fuck it up and it doesn't <laughs> come out. I don't want, I don't want to make a liar of your podcast. <laughs> but I will totally, or myself more, more. I will tell you. Um, Off the right. I, I will just, I will tell you. I've been, the only tease I will give is I have been listening to a lot of, a podcast about uh, Greek mythology, and I've been rereading my Anne Carson. Oh, yeah. Let's get off this call so you can tell me more. <laughs> I will totally tell you, uh, but it's I just yeah. Um, everybody should read their Anne Carson. Everybody should should do that. Did you know she has a new book coming out this year? I did not. She's apparently doing. Um, Marilyn Monroe as Helen of Troy. What? Yeah, she's like doing like a, a, a thing about the Iliad. Something with Marilyn Monroe as Helen of Troy. And um, I have a lot of like mixed feelings about Joyce Carol Oates, mm-hmm. um, as I think a lot of people do. But I will say Blonde is one of my favorite books because it has one of my favorite scenes in literature, which is Drunk Marlon Brando. And Marilyn Monroe's bathtub, <laughs> like just hanging out, talking to her and being drunk and hot in her bathtub, which is like, what more do you want in your American literature? Yeah. I, I myself do not want much more than that. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm excited about Ann Carson's take on it because I love Joyce Keller Oates's and I also love Ann Carson. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. I think everybody should read your book. Thank you. I think so too. I was yeah. I want I want everybody to read it. So I'm gonna tell them that again and again on the on the podcast. Thank you, and thanks for making time to talk with me and and being a part of the literary community and just helping those of us who've been impacted by the state of the world get the word out about our books. I'm trying. You're you're succeeding, my friend. You're good, succeeding. good, good. Thank you. As always, thank you for tuning in. You can purchase Laura's novel today on Amazon or head on over to Zank Books. That's D-Z-A-N-C books.org. Until next time, keep reading.